0: Uh, Good morning. Uh, My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at SunWest, and we're continuing our series this morning called Juice. And uh, this series is all about relationships, the healthy, uh, the ingredient to healthy relationships. And I don't know about you, uh, but there's moments in my life where I get squeezed, whether through circumstances or you're exhausted or you're tired or things just don't work out the way you want and you, you feel a squeeze in your life. And it's often at those moments that we're squeezed uh, that what is on really happening on the inside comes out. When everything's perfect and everything's working just the way we want it, uh, sometimes we can fool ourselves and think, you know, there's a cert- we have a certain type of juice or substance in us uh, that s- proves false when we actually do get squeezed. And so my hope and my prayer is as we journey through this series this summer uh, that we will uh, take a look at what is happening in our lives when we get squeezed and recognizing that what is coming out of us is affecting our relationships, your friendships. Uh, if, if you have a girlfriend or boyfriend, that relationship, if you're, if you're married, uh, affects that relationship. If you've got kids, it affects that. It, 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 it spills out everywhere in the workplace, at home, in church. What happens when you get squeezed? And so last week we talked about uh, the fact that there's two different Gospels, and, and we're looking at the book of Galatians, uh, specifically in chapter 5. But the whole idea in chapter 5, uh, Paul is kind of leading up to it, and, and he introduces the issue right in Galatians chapter 1. And it says, I'm shocked that you were turning away so soon from God who called you to himself, through the love, loving mercy of Christ, you are following a different way. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're following a different way that pretends to be the gospel. That's the word there, the gospel, the good news. Uh, but it's not the good news at all. And sometimes we can, we can f- be led into a, into a counterfeit gospel, a counterfeit uh, good news. And last week we mentioned uh, two two different gospels. One gospel, a counterfeit gospel, it's all about what you do. Uh, but the real gospel says it's all about actually what Jesus has already done. The counterfeit gospel says it's about trying to get God's approval. But the real gospel, the real good news, says it's about just receiving God's love. The counterfeit gospel says it's about external duty. I got to convince God that I'm lovable. I got to convince God that I'm acceptable. I got to try harder to make my life better. Uh, but The real gospel says it's actually about a heart issue, an internal desire issue. So, Paul goes on eventually in chapter 5 to say, Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the, the sinful nature d- desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So you have a flesh nature, an evil nature. The, the word in the, in the Greek, which Paul was writing in, is the word sarx, which is basically everything in your being that is fighting God's will for your life. That we have a, a flesh part of us that is desiring something opposite than what God desires for us. And it doesn't necessarily mean that all physical, all physicality is bad, is evil. It's just saying that there's a part of us, our broken selves, that are desiring something opposite than what God desires. We were created in the image of God. We were were blessed by God. And when God created us, it was good. That's an important part of the whole biblical narrative that God made you and I in his image, and he looks at us and he says, it's good. But yet in our own flesh and our own desires, we do things that distort that image of God. We have desires that are contrary to what what God is calling us to. And here's the result. When When you decide to follow that flesh desire... Your sinful nature, the results are very clear, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. This is not an exhaustive list, uh, but Paul is painting a picture. This is, if you choose... To pursue those desires, this is the type of fruit that is going to grow in your lives. There's a rotten type of fruit that will grow in your lives if you decide to camp out, if you decide to uh, pursue these desires. You know, sexual immorality, you know, the word there is porneia, which is where we get the word pornography from. You know, the, the idea in the Greek is expressing our sexuality outside of God's design for our lives. I talked a little bit about that last week impurity, lustful pleasures, a lack, that, that word there is about a lack of constraint. You don't have this, you don't have self-control. You just indulge in everything, which isn't really freedom. Our world would say that's freedom, do whatever you want, but the Bible says that's actually slavery. to so just follow uh, whatever your heart desires, but have no sense of control in your life. You're actually a slave. Idolatry, you know, this refers to worship, Worshipping images or man made objects, but there's all sorts of idols in our lives. You say, well, we don't have idols nowadays, but we do idolize all sorts of things, whether it's money, whether it's status, whether it's relationships. Uh, in our culture, we idolize, uh, we idolize children. You know, your t- children become the center of a parent's world, uh, which is actually incredibly unhealthy for the child and for you, but your whole world starts to revolve around your kids. All sorts of things that we still idolize today. So this is the type of fruit that starts to grow in our lives when we entertain and we pursue the desires of our flesh, the sinful desires. And then Paul goes on to say the Holy Spirit, so if you choose to abide in the Holy Spirit, if you choose to dwell, dwell there, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Let's read those together the Holy Spirit Spirit produces these kind of fruit in our lives: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control There is no law against these things you're not going to get a ticket for being too joyful you know my, my, my older son is very He he's the oldest son he likes to follow the rules he's always very concerned uh, with you know with making sure I do the law exactly right, uh, it's getting to the point where if I don't turn on a, t- when I don't turn my turn signal on when I'm driving, uh, he'll make a comment within seconds. Right? It's just uh, he's so concerned. Uh, but there is no law against being loving, being joyful. Stop being joyful. It's not going to happen. There's no law against these things. And obviously the law that Paul is talking about, we, talked, we, we mentioned last week, is, is, is the Old Testament law. It's, you know, it's, it's the law that was governing uh, the Jewish people throughout their history, and, and, and Paul is saying, if you live by the Spirit, you actually fulfill the law. You'll have to worry less about trying to figure out what's right and wrong all the time, and you will just naturally start producing the things that the law was intending you to produce. So today we're going to pick up one of uh, these the, the sides of this fruit. And each, each week during the summer, we're going to look at different aspects uh, of the tree. And, and I, I try and stay away from saying fruits, because like we said last week, the, the list is the fruit of the Spirit. But there's all sorts of flavor of this fruit, and, and one of those flavors is, is love. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. You might be asking this morning, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Okay, I will. I will. But before I do that, uh, I, I need a, I need about eight, eight or so volunteers that that are able to come up on stage with me. And we got we got the dance crew here. Okay, so you guys you guys can come up on stage. Ben, uh, we got some. Yeah, well, let's get some age up there. Phoenix, you're really old, right? Uh, <laughs> how about anybody else? We, get some, we gotta get some wisdom, I can't. Just stand up and come up if you, yeah, come on up. Perfect, and who else we got? One more, Troy. I see a, I see a, I see an old guy right there in the middle. Uh, let's get, okay, let's give them a hand, come on up. We're. We're, we're going to disperse the age groups a little bit just because, uh, actually no, this is going to be a fun experiment. Uh, so Troy, I'll get you on this side, Phoenix will we'll be on this side with Ben, and we'll keep the dance crew, uh, over, come, come over on this side. And uh, each, each of you guys is going to get a microphone. And so we, we live in a culture that has all sorts of ideas uh, of what love is, all sorts of definitions, and we, we, we notice this most uh, particularly in, you know, top 40 billboard uh, music. And uh, there's a bit of a camp game that we're going to play, and it's called Songbirds. And this is... This is uh, <laughs> ben regrets coming on stage already. Uh, this is the way the game works. You have to sing a song that has the word... You can you can just you can just hold it out in the middle. of Your group, Gra- you can gather around the mic. Yeah, you're all singing. It's not not individuals. It's a group. Group. One group versus the other group. Okay. Are, are you guys gonna be okay? Do you need some somebody with some more experience on your team that no one loves? What? No, you're good. Okay. I am offended. Um, I have so much experience. Colton, you're gonna join them. You, yeah, Oh Col- come on. Yeah, everybody oh, give Colton man. a hand. We're so good. Yeah. For the dance crew. Yeah. Yeah, Colton knows his love songs, just ask Angel. He's, uh... Okay, so, so here's, the, here's the way it's going to work. You have to sing a line in a song that has the word love in it. Okay, and you have about, uh, you have about I'm going to give you six or seven seconds after the other group finishes for you to start your next song. Okay, and if you can't, get, if you can't start a song in that amount of time, the other team wins. So you're going to go back and forth as long as you can until one of you is unable to come up with a song. Does this make sense? Does this make sense to you guys? Okay. So who, want, who wants to start? The more, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let the more experienced uh, experienced side start. So yeah, you just hold that in the, out in the middle. Okay. You guys ready? Whenever you're ready, that, that'll start the game, and then you guys are going to have six or seven seconds to, to keep it going. It's on. Are you sure? Yeah. yeah they're working on it in the back Though You'll be okay. Okay. You just sing louder. That's Okay, on your mark, get set, go. Love hurts. All right. One. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you love me, let me go. Let me All see. right. Let me yes. No, I don't know. That.
1: Love Love me tender, tender, love me
0: true, true patriot love. Oh! Yeah, we went there. I wanna know what love (laughs) is. (laughs) This is what real love feels like. All right. I'm I'm gonna trust you that that's a song. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Love me, love me, say that you love me. All right, me. nicely done. Okay. <laughs> and I. <laughs> will I, I will Whitney Houston. Love oh, you. <laughs> Dolly Pardon. Come on. From Stampede, right? Dolly Pardon. Didn't she sing that song? What, what is, is love? love? Baby, don't hurt, hurt me. Me. <laughs> don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No I more. <laughs> okay. No! No! no. Two. Come on. To. Four. No. Stop in the name of love right. before yeah. you break my heart. <laughs> very good, very good. She loves me, me yeah, 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 yeah. She loves me, going. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You guys are up. Yeah. L. Is for the way you look oh, that at me. <laughs> yeah, Ben keeps saying, "Yeah, that works." Okay. Good. He, did, he didn't say love. Yeah, he it was. It. Oh, we we knew it's coming. It's coming. It, it spells it. It's good. Um. So, baby, you should go and love yourself. Cause if you like right. the way you okay. look that much, <laughs> oh, you. you. Me, we gotta love, strike it up like a match. Wow, there we go. (sighs) I think we lose. I better find your love, and I better find your heart. Hey, (laughs) it's that never ending, reckless love. Okay, new rule. No I'm, worse. No worse. I'm going to Jesus' up. love. No love. No one wins. <laughs> they get one, we get one. Okay, you guys going to have one. That's it. And oh, how he loves us. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. i not saying, that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I don't know anything. Time's up. Yay! Thank you, Sophie. You're on it. Okay, again. let's give our You're volunteers ruined. a hand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got Thank no you. prizes for you guys, just, just love, just love. Well done. I, I would have put my money on the experience group, I think, if I would have had uh, money. <laughs> Very well done. So we've got many ideas of what love is, all sorts of versions, definitions. In our culture, we use the word love to describe all sorts of things. Uh, many of those songs describes different aspects of what we think about love. Uh, we love. We use love to talk about food. We use love to talk about pets. We use love to talk about our kids and our spouses. And we use love to talk about TV shows. And I think that we all know that when we use that word love, we're not describing all of those items equally. But it just shows that we have a generic word of love that's describing multiple types of things. Uh, in the Greek language which Paul wrote in and the, the, our New Testament was written in, uh, they had different words for different types of love. And so that would be a nice thing to have in our culture where we use it to describe all sorts of things, creates confusion in us, but they had a word uh, called phileo, and it talks about friendship type of love. Uh, the love between friends. It's it, it, you, you have a you have joint interests, uh, similar interests. You like hanging out together. It's a, it's friendly. That's phileo love. There's eros love, which we get the word erotic from, and you can guess what that type of love means. It's probably the love that was described in most of those songs you were just singing. It's this erotic, sexual desire type of love, and then you have the word agape, which is a totally different kind of love. Uh, which is like this deeper, covenantal type of love that doesn't change. It's not based on feelings, uh, but it's, it's often used in Scripture to describe God's relationship with Jesus, God's relationship with humanity, and agape love. And so we get confused. I mean, I, I was watching TV the other day, and there's a new show on called The Proposal. I don't know if you guys have seen this. No? I'm, uh, <laughs> no one's like, I'm not willing to put up my hand for that. Uh, I was flipping channels, and I saw The Proposal. Uh, I didn't watch it for very long. Uh, But, you know, the part of it that I did see, uh, after he goes through the selection of all the girls, uh, they get to the end, and he he proposes. So the whole premise of the show is you don't... There's this mystery man behind a wall. Uh, I only know this because I didn't watch it. Someone told me. There's a mystery man behind a wall and uh, there's a series of interviews and questions, and there's a whole bunch of girls that uh, he's either interviewing or, you know, whatever, trying to pick the one girl, and they narrow it down to two girls at the end, and then there's two girls standing, and there's just this tragic, I just feel bad for the second girl. At the end, there's, it'd be the worst to get to the second place in the show, because you're standing there, and he approaches one of them, and he's supposed to propose to one of those girls uh, that he has never met before that moment, and Uh, So the show I watched, the guy gets down on one knee, and I'm like, what is he going to say? And he gets down on one knee, and he says, says, this just feels right. (laughs) And then he says, since the moment I saw you. I'm like, like half an hour ago. Since the moment I saw you, I just, I knew that it was meant to be or something like that. I'm just like, give me a break. Um, This just feels right. You know, we often we think that love is about feeling or that love uh, love at first sight or this expectation that i could see somebody and i would i would i would just know that they were the one for me and so we have all different experiences different definitions when we use the word love but for some of us love love is exciting I do uh, marriage counseling quite often and got a couple of weddings we're doing this summer, and you know, I walk through with couples as they get prepared to get married, and they are excited. They cannot wait to get married. And the closer that wedding day gets, the more excited they get. Uh, well, the, the more stressed the bride gets, the more excited the groom gets. That's typically what happens. Some of us are excited about love. Some of us are exhausted. Love can be exhausting. You know even when we Serve do your money often you know we'll ask the line you know you take this person to be your husband your wife for richer for poorer and sickness and health. You know we're so excited on the wedding day we say yeah absolutely and then as life goes on you recognize that uh, as much as there's richness there's also poverty as much as there's sick as health there's also sickness. And sometimes when you actually love someone it gets exhausting. It gets tiring. Uh, but that's part of that's part of relationship that's part of real relationship is not just the excitement but uh, in many ways the exhaustion of loving somebody well for a long period of time and for some of us, love has expired. Some of us feel like we've fallen into love and then we've fallen out of love. You know we live in a world where um, we're you know, couples choose each other, and they, ha- they have families together, but then they, they split or they divorce, and there's an expiration date sometimes on our love for various reasons. But, but this happens, and, you know, especially as I worked uh, with youth and young adults for a re- really long time, uh, I could see all three of these in the youth ministry. Like, kids loving each other, and they're excited. Uh, they're exhausted because they're going between different homes of different parents and families, uh, because love had expired. And, and we live in this messy world of relationships and love. And some of you here this morning, are, you're excited maybe, you're exhausted, or maybe you feel like your love's expired. And so I want to talk about some popular misconceptions around the idea of love. The first misconception is that love is a feeling. I've got a feeling... Tonight's going to be a good night. We think that love's a feeling. And one of the most important things you need to know about your feelings is that your feelings will lie to you. They'll lie to you. You cannot trust your feelings. This This is a theme throughout Scripture, that your feelings will deceive you. Are your feelings always wrong? No. But they can be wrong. And how do you know the difference between where your feelings are leading you? In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 4, this is a really important concept that I think we really need in our culture. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. The whole idea that you know, Paul is describing here in the book of Corinthians is that you can't trust your conscience. Just because your conscience is clear and you don't feel, you know, this feels right, doesn't mean that it is right. But Paul also describes the importance of never violating your conscience. Don't violate your conscience. Some of you feel like something's wrong and you ignore your conscience. Say I'm just going to I'm just going to ignore it. That's not smart. Your conscience is a great red light, but it's not a great green light. That's essentially what Paul is saying. If your conscience says, you know, I need to stop or this feels off, it's really important that you don't violate your conscience. But if your conscience says, go, 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 this is amazing, it feels right, don't follow your conscience when it's a green light. Don't violate your conscience, do not. Do not violate your conscience. And as we learned last week, you're not neutral. The choices that you make, as you, as you make choices in life, they change you. And that's why you can't follow your conscience, because your conscience is affected by the choices that you've made. Often, and you know this, If you, you probably have made some poor choices in your life, and the first time you cho- chose to go against your conscience, it was really, really easy. second time was or really, really difficult, sorry. And the second time was a little bit less difficult. And you did it over and over again until all of a sudden you felt like, I don't have a conscience on this issue at all anymore because you chose to violate your conscience. And so it changes us. We, we're, we're not neutral people. Uh, we are affected over time by the choices that we're making. Your choices will affect you and in turn affect your ability to continue to choose to make healthy decisions in your life and your relationships. And the more you override your conscience, the more your conscience will be silent. So love is a feeling. That's a popular misconception. Another one is that love is uncontrollable. I just couldn't help it. You can't control who you love. Or I just I just don't feel the same anymore. You know, another show that deals a lot with love that I never watch, uh, <laughs> The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. You know, I... What a remarkable human experiment. Yeah, you kind of put all these people together and they fall, you know, the bachelor or the bachelorette, they end up falling in love with multiple people. And we say, well, love is uncontrollable. That's not true. The reason that this happens, that they fall in love with six or seven people. I mean, I've had, so, I've had conversations, you know, Lisa and I have talked about this. How do they actually love so many people? Well, they've actually been put in an environment that is controlled. They've been put in an environment that creates havoc in their emotions and their relationships. It's not like this just happens. It's not just real life. You don't make out. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't make out with multiple people. I make out with my wife. Uh, <laughs> but here you have the bachelor, and he makes out with 30 different women on the same night. And, uh, and then they try and make this decision at the end of the show, I just got to follow my heart. It's like, well, your heart has deceived you. Love is not uncontrollable. You've actually been affected by the choices that you've made in a controlled environment that is intended to produce all of this chaos in these human relationships. Love is controllable. You can control who you love. You do have a choice when it comes to Love. So this leads us to the proper perspective. Love is a matter of choice. Colossians 3.14, it says, And over all virtues put on love, which binds them together. It's a choice to put on love. You choose it. This is... When the Bible talks about agape love, this is what it's talking about, a choice. It's this covenantal love that we, we don't just base our behavior on our experiences or what we're feeling, but we actually make a choice that is higher than how we're feeling in any given moment. You talk to any couple in here that's been married for multiple years, there's times where they had to choose to love one another. Because love is a choice. And then our choices affect how we feel. Love is also a matter of conduct. You know, maybe you're, you've been in a relationship and, you know, with a friend or a girlfriend, a spouse, and no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll never do it again, I'll never, never do it again. And they do it again, and then they hurt you again, and they hurt you again. And pretty soon you start to wonder, does this person really care about me? Does this person really love our relationship and love me? Because the reality is that love is also a matter of conduct. Love doesn't just look like the honeymoon. Love looks like dishes. Can I get an amen from any of the wives in here? Love looks like dishes, hey? The way Jesus lives becomes the signal of actions and behavior on which we base our lives. Jesus says, If you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. Ooh, that doesn't feel very nice in our culture. Jesus, what if I'm not feeling it? I'm not, I'm not feeling the commands today. You say, well, if you love me, an outcome of that love is the, choice, the choices you make, the conduct that you have, your behaviors. It's What you love is shown in how you behave. And so what does love look like? When you see the behavior of love, when it's being lived out, what does it look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to find 1 Corinthians 13 right now. I got to get, I got to read that. Uh, Often we hear it at weddings. It's not just a wedding passage. and and, And sometimes it's unfortunate that certain passages, they just get designated for certain things in our lives and then we don't pay attention to them outside of that. It's not about a wedding, 1 Corinthians 13. It's talking about the type of love that should exist through those who are being led and filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's do an inventory so when, when my kids, uh, you know, when I ask them how, how they're doing in something or how was your day or how was school, you know, they give me different, three different types of thumbs. They give me the thumbs up. It was awesome. Uh, most of the time they give me like this non-committal thumb. Mm. Um, it was okay. Uh, or we have a thumbs down. And so uh, you might not want to do this with your actual thumb, but mentally as we go, th- as we go through the love chapter here, Give yourself a thumbs up, a middle-of-the-road thumb or a thumbs down in terms of how are you doing in this behavior being squeezed out of you. So when you get squeezed in your life, does your love, does the, what comes out in your relationships look like this? So in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient. Love is Kind. Love is not jealous, love is not boastful, it's not proud, love doesn't have an ego, it's not rude, love isn't irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. Look at those again, love is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, boastful, proud, rude, not irritable, he keeps no record of being wrong. How are you doing? When you get squeezed, is this what comes out of you? Paul keeps going. He does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. You know, you can tell the people in your life that you have a hard time loving because sometimes something bad happens to them and a part of you, this flesh part of you, is actually, you almost feel good about it. Or, when those that don't like you, who are against you, you feel like maybe you have enemies, when something bad happens to them, do you hurt with them? Does it hurt your heart? Are you happy when the truth comes out that somebody is better than you expected or something that you assumed was more rotten than it was? Does that make you happy? Because love rejoices. When that happens, love never gives up. How easy do you give up on relationships? Love l- never loses faith. It's always optimistic, it's always h- hopeful. And love endures through every circumstance. How are you doing? In your self inventory. I think if most of us are honest, we have uh, we have probably more of these and these than we do of these. And that's, if you can find it in your heart to admit that and to be honest with yourself, it's great because it's actually the beginning. That's the beginning of what it means or the reasons why we need to follow Jesus, why we need to be led by someone other than ourselves is because we have a problem. And if you came here looking for the perfect church, you're going to be disappointed. First of all, because you came. So it's not perfect anymore. First of all, and second of all, because I know myself, and I know how rotten I am, and I know a lot of you. Yeah. At SunWest, there's no perfect people allowed. And so, if you feel like you're perfect and you're looking for the perfect church, it's probably easier for you just to leave now. <laughs> if anyone wants to leave now, go for it. Um, but if you're honest and you say, you know, I'm imperfect and I got some ugliness that gets squeezed out of me, uh, that's, that's the place that we begin. That's the place that we begin healthy relationships. First of all, with Jesus, and then secondly, with each other. And if I had If I had a list to show you how I was doing, you know, I would probably be embarrassed. You know, there's an Irish proverb that kind of goes along the lines of every man has his sins written on his forehead. If every man did, uh, then even the most righteous would pull their cap down. And so, here's the really big problem. We've got a few of them. This love, this agape love, this, this Holy Spirit-infused love is not produced through willpower. And we, we chatted about this last week, and it'll be an ongoing point through the whole summer. Uh, but you cannot produce this type of love through willpower. You know, sometimes this is how we treat, you know, change. You know, we try and change our lives. We You know, this is the shape of our lives. We're like, we don't like this shape, and we need to change it. And so we, in our strength, we try and squeeze it. And I got, I got weak sauce computer hands, and I, I could probably only squeeze this for so long. Uh, I could only squeeze this for so long. Eventually, every single one of us would have to release our strength, and when we release our strength and are trying, we just naturally go back to the shape that we were. And I think many of you have spent your life doing this. Just you're just trying harder. I just, if I could just change, if I could just change a little bit more, if I could squeeze a little bit harder. But this is a different gospel. This is a different gospel. It's not the gospel of what's been done for me, it's the gospel of what I do through my own strength. So this doesn't give you a license to never try or work hard or have discipline in your life. Absolutely not. Discipline's important. Trying is important. Um... But you can't change yourself with your own willpower. You can't give ultimate transformative change in your life just on your own strength. This is what the law revealed. This was the point oh, sorry, uh, this, is, this is the point that Paul was trying to get at in Galatians, is that through the law, you actually just became more aware that you couldn't keep that shape, that you couldn't hold it. And eventually when you get tired, when you get exhausted, when life gets, when you start to get squeezed, you were who you always were. You need something deeper, something more transformative. You now if I con- contrast that with the, with the pop can, you know, I could squeeze it and it changes the shape. You know, a different, the right hand of the right pressure against the right type of material creates lasting change. You know, so the, this shape is kind of an, this idea is kind of an image of us trying to change ourselves, but when God's hand comes into our lives and we become moldable, we become available, His power added in our lives can actually transform us. You can't get there through your own willpower. That's problem number one. And we referred to this last week in Philippians 2.13. It says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purposes. See, God can change your desire. God can change how you feel. And that's an important part of this. So I'm not saying feelings... uh, aren't a part of the equation. I'm just saying that the feelings are not the source of your authority. You can't just go by how you feel. But as you become available to God, as you walk in relationship with God, as you abide in Him, He actually transforms your will. He gives you the ability to will and to act according to His plan for your life. In the psalm, this is also referred to in Psalm 37, it says, "'Take delight in the Lord.'" and he will give you the desires of your heart. This, this passage has been misused and misquoted so many times. People think, God just wants to give me what I want. He wants, he wants me to have the desires of my heart. Well, not if your heart is actually desiring something that is contrary to what he wants for you. What this is saying, so the word delight in the Hebrew actually speaks to a long-term intimate relationship. That's what that word is all about. Delight in the Lord. Live in intimacy with the Lord for a long time. Daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Walk in intimate relationship with the Lord. As you walk in intimate relationship with God, the desires of your heart will align with His. If you find yourself constantly desiring something opposite to what God is wanting for you, I'd say, are you living in a daily, regular way uh, that is an intimate relationship with God. Second, a morally good, serving, talented heart is not not enough. Sometimes we fall into this lie of thinking, you know, when we look at somebody, they seem good, they seem like a good person, or they serve a lot, or they're super talented. You know, they must have a really intimate relationship with God. Well, if we go back to the love chapter, before we got to all of those behaviors that describe what love looks like, it says, Paul says this, if I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor... That seems like a noble description of a task. If I could give everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And I think in the North American church in particular, we have a celebrity problem. We are more impressed with people's talent than we are with their fruit. We're more impressed with people's talent than we are with their fruit. Especially in the, in the era of internet and web, you know, we find really talented, gifted people. We don't really know them from Adam. We don't really know what type of fruit they have in their lives, but we just think and assume that they're, you know, them and Jesus must be like in a super intimate, close relationship. And they might be. But we can't tell that by people's talent. We can't tell that unless you actually are around them and you see them getting squeezed and you see what comes out of them. So you could be super talented. You could preach. You could lead small groups. You could plant hundreds of churches. You could be the most amazing singer and worship leader. Paul says you could prophesy. You could tell people only things that God knows, that He's revealed to you. But if you don't love... Paul's saying, your life just sounds like that. That's what your life sounds like. So your talent, being a good person, serving, it's not that those things are bad, but the measure of the relationship with Jesus is actually the fruit in our lives. It's what gets squeezed out of you. And as we've talked about, the third problem is you won't become these on your own. It's not about what you do, it's about what he's done. So what's the key ingredient? What's the key ingredient if we want to live our lives full of this type of love, this agape love, this 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love? And the key ingredient is a supernaturally changed heart. Well, you say, well, how can, how can I do that? Well, that's the point. You can't. That's, that's why the word supernatural is in there. Uh, you can't do it on your own. And a supernaturally changed heart is produced. So, this is a, so you say, how do, we, how do I produce this? A supernaturally changed heart is produced by meeting and receiving love because love is a person. It's produced by meeting and receiving love because love is a person. The way that we... Learn to love that way is by receiving that type of love. Love isn't a list of principles that you need to do to be better. It's from the key ingredient of a deeper and deeper intimate relationship with Jesus. That's 1 John 4 verse 8 says, God is love. So when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, I wonder... I wonder who Paul's describing. It's, it's not me. You know, Paul's not saying, you be more patient. This is not what he wrote. He said, you got to be kind. You got you to boast less. He's not pointing the finger at you and saying, you, you got to do this. What he's doing is describing love and he's personifying love. And who is it that Paul's personifying? You know, we... Trying to be more patient and loving is like doing this. Uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna have an affair with my wife. I'm not. Gonna fall into that same addictive pattern again. I'm not gonna road rage. I'm not going to send that text with all caps. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. And you can restrain yourself for a while, but eventually you do send that text, don't you? Maybe not today. So who is Paul personifying? Obviously, he's personifying Jesus. Love is patient. It's not you, it's not me, it's not even Paul. He's saying... Jesus is patient. The Lord is patient. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. That's what we learn in Scripture. He's patient. Love is kind. In Romans it says, the kindness of the Lord is what leads us to repentance. God is kind. The Lord is kind. Jesus is kind. Jesus is God with flesh on. Jesus is the self-revelation of God. Love is not self-seeking. What is he saying? Jesus is not self-seeking. God is not self-seeking. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Knowing that he was walking towards the cross, he he prays, God, if it's your will, take this cup for me, but not as I will. Your will be done. He wasn't interested in self. He was interested in what God wanted. Love keeps no record of wrongs. We think of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm so thankful for the forgiving heart of God. Love always protects Who is Paul describing? Not me. He's describing the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong power. The righteous run into it and are saved. Or Psalm 91 it says, "They who dwell in the secret place of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty." God always protects. God perseveres. Jesus perseveres. He's on the cross. He says, "It is finished." What does he describe? He said, "I came for a purpose and I persevered to the end." I did what I was called to do. Love never fails. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. What Paul is describing is Jesus. And here's the thing, is that we only love that way when we let Jesus take over our lives. It's only possible when there's a supernatural transformation that happens in our heart. Back in the 13th century, there's a German king named uh, Frederick II who conducted a, an experiment. He wanted to find out what language children would naturally So he had this idea, we're not going to talk to the kids, and uh, we're going to see what they speak just naturally, their human nature. Uh, he was convinced that German was like the God-given language, uh, spoken like a true German. I can say that because um, my grandparents are German. So they ran this experiment. They had, you know, they, they, they gave kids to some different groups of maidservants, and there was uh, some maidservants that, uh, that basically just made sure the kids had food, and they changed their diapers, and that was it. And the other group of maidservants, they, you know, they still, they did all the parental stuff with the kids, uh, but they just didn't use words or language, Right. Uh, but they would they would feed them they would help them they would cuddle with them they would you know they wouldn't use real words but maybe they you know the you know maybe they would talk like that to the babies uh, there was relational there was a relational aspect there this group over here you know the experiment didn't bring the results that Frederick II wanted or was looking for uh, brought a different set of results two thirds of this ki- of the, the kids in this group died without human touch without love. Modern medicine calls this phenomenon the failure to thrive. It's, it's the absence of love in someone's life. And I believe that this is really just a picture of the whole biblical story. Uh, and as the band comes out and they're, they're going to lead us here in worship, I think some of you, you come this morning and you can feel uh, the absence of love in your life. You know, maybe it's not as dramatic as the story with the kids where they, you know, they actually die, but you can feel a slow death happening. You're not excited anymore. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you feel the love's uh, expired. Maybe you feel this just growing apathy in your heart. You, just, you don't care about anybody or anything anymore. Uh, maybe your love's been actually replaced with hatred. You have no capacity to love because you just you you have this anger and this hatred towards others that just feels uncontrollable, and you can tell that your spirit, your life—it's it, actually there's a slow death that's happening, and that is that is our flesh. That is that is the fruit of our flesh, and you can try and say, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to feel that anymore. I'm going to try not to feel that anymore. It, it it actually doesn't work. The only way that you can replace That in your life is by inviting love to come in. And love is not an idea. Love is not a feeling. Love is a person. It's probably the biggest lie in our culture that they're trying to convince us that love is something other than a person, and love is God. Love is the presence of God. Without God, there is no love. Love. And so we invite Jesus into our lives to bring transformation to our hearts so that we can love in a way that we would never be able to love to on our own strength by just trying harder. And I know, I know you can fake it for a while. Some of you have been faking it for a while, but it's exhausting. You know, about uh, 15 years ago, I started a, just a practice of uh, getting up most mornings. Um, I'm not perfect. Uh, getting up most mornings, and I, I spend a significant amount of time in the Word of God and in prayer, and just journaling, and spending time with Jesus. And over time, I realized I cannot go without that time, because it feels like life itself to me. And I can feel it in my own life when I, when I stop doing it. Um, there's all sorts of ugly fruit that starts growing in me. Uh, and I realize I'm disconnecting from the mind. I'm disconnecting from the source of love. And if I want that agape love in my life, I actually have to start dating Jesus again. And I don't mean dating Jesus in an uncommittal sense. I mean dating Jesus like I ought to continue to date my wife. I need to spend time with her. I need to spend time with Jesus. And if I don't spend time with Jesus, then my flesh starts to take control and ugly stuff starts coming out. And so... I would encourage you, if you want more of that 1 Corinthians 13 type of love in your life, I would ask you, are you dating Jesus? Are you spending time with him? Are you letting the intimate relationship that you have with him transform you from the inside out? Or are you just going to keep trying harder? I invite you to stand. And I I would invite you, as as we close with this final song, that this would be a song of surrender, of just saying, I recognize that this love that's being described is a person. It's not a feeling. It's not a thing. And so I surrender my misconceptions of love. I surrender trying harder to produce this type of love that actually comes from outside of me. And instead, Jesus, I, I pray that you would take away hatred. You would take away apathy and you would replace it with the fruit of your spirit. So, Father, I thank you that you have revealed yourself in the person of Jesus. And that when we look at Jesus, as John so acutely observed, that we see love, this agape love, this covenantal type of love, this love that is not based on situation or circumstance, uh, but it's just a supernatural type of love. And, and John looked at that, he, he had to conclude that, God, you are love. That is the essence of who you are. And Lord, you invite us to be made in your image, to become more Christ-like. And we realize this morning, God, that it doesn't come through our own strength or our own flesh, but it comes through full surrender to your spirit in our lives. And so we just say, come into our lives, Lord Jesus. Transform us from the inside out. I pray that relationships that we have in our marriages and our friendships, our, our, um, our, our relationships with our neighbors and our coworkers, Lord, that they would be, healthier and healthier because when we're squeezed, it is your spirit that is actually coming out of us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning as we're describing this love and we're singing the song and the song is describing this love and you're like, I don't know that type of love. or I've had glimpses of it. I have tastes of it. uh, And you want to make a step this morning to say, you know, I want my love I want to accept that type of love and I want my my life to be marked by that type of love. Um, I'd invite you to take uh, that step and that risk this morning of of laying down control and giving up trying harder and just surrendering to Jesus. uh, Letting his spirit transform you from the inside out. Uh, If there's anything else that you would like to receive prayer for, uh, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, If there's, you know, relational... uh, you know, fallout as we've talked about this morning. That you realize, you know, I need God's supernatural power to actually come and invade this relational issue. Uh, we'd love to pray for you if you if you have uh, healing that you need in your life. Uh, we would love to pray for you about that. Um, so let me just let me just close in prayer. Father, um, again, we just thank you for this reckless love uh, that chases chases us down that some people would call reckless. Um, and uh, Lord, we want to respond to your reckless love by being, uh, by surrendering completely. Uh, I, I just think of the, the picture the, where the lady just pours out that jar of perfume at your feet. And there's people around her saying, what a waste. Lord, we want to waste our lives on you. We don't want to hold anything back. We don't want to try harder. Uh, We just want to surrender more. And uh, and Lord, I pray that your spirit would just meet us as we surrender more to you and transform us from the inside out. Thank you that this is what you love to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. We'll see you at Stampede Breakfast uh, next week. Uh, I think it's a yeehaw, not a yahoo or whatever.